Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Nick. Taught Christians to do the same, and eventually he did lose his life for it. But see, that's the same kind of attitude we see here with Paul, a man courageously doing the will of God, not knowing what's going to happen, only that if he follows the path that God has laid before him, it will indeed lead to, to trials and difficulties and hardships. Now think about that. Isn't that just a radical way of thinking? It's very different than the way our culture tends to naturally think, right? That, that God's will for your life as a God who loves you that his plan for your life might include difficult things. But yet, in spite of that, his plan for your life is good. See, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but I do want to give you a preview of what's going to happen. I'll just tell you a little bit. See, here's what's going to happen. Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to get there soon. And he's going to be beaten. He's going to be arrested. He's going to, be, he's going to end up being uh, taken to Rome as a prisoner. He's going to have all kinds of false accusations thrown at him. Now, you might remember going to Rome was something that Paul had always dreamed of doing. It was something that he wanted to do for a very long time now. The only thing is he probably didn't expect that he would end up going there as a prisoner. But at least he got a free ride and he got a free place to stay, right? So there was a little bit of icing on the cake. But during his time in Rome as a prisoner, he, he picked up the pen. He used the free time that he had. He picked up the pen and he wrote four letters which are now books of the Bible. They're in our New Testament. They're known as the prison epistles. These are the letters to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and Philemon. And among those letters, the letter to the Philippians really gives us the most insight into Paul's mental and emotional and spiritual state during his imprisonment. And that's what's so interesting about it because the letter to the Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. Because throughout the letter, that's all Paul wants to talk about. He, he's in prison, but his heart is overwhelmed with joy. He wants the people reading the letter to also be full of joy. He says, because we have the ultimate reason to have joy, no matter what circumstances we're in, because of the gospel. Because we're loved and accepted by God through what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we have the hope of eternal life. The, Do you get my point here? Here's the point. The road that God called Paul to walk down led through great hardship. And yet in the end, Paul was able to say, God had a good plan for my life and my heart is full of joy. It it was a hard road, but it was a good road and it was more than worth it. And I am full of joy in the end. See, here's the thought that this section really leaves us with and wants us to really ponder and think about. It's this, what if God's plan for your life, what if God's calling for your life is something hard, is a path that leads through trials and difficulties? You'll certainly need a lot of courage to walk that road, I'll tell you, just as Paul needed a lot of courage to walk that road himself. At one point in our lives or another, that's going to be all of us. And so where did Paul draw this incredible courage from? And where do we get that kind of courage from ourselves? Well, let's continue on, and we'll see as we go on. We're going to read from verse 5. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we 
agreed, uh, we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Do you guys remember Philip? This isn't the first time we've met Philip here in the book of Acts. We first met Philip back in Acts chapter 6, when you remember there was this kind of benevolence ministry that the church had to widows at that time, and they chose seven leaders from among them to oversee their benevolence ministry to the widows. And Philip was one of those seven. Now, do you remember who else was one of those seven? Really, there's only two that really stick in people's minds. One was Philip. The other one was a man named Stephen. You remember Stephen uh, was one of the seven also along with Philip, so they worked together. But do you also remember what was interesting about Stephen? He was the first martyr of the Christian church, the first person killed for his faith. And, And do you remember who the person was who was behind the murder of Stephen? The one who accused Stephen of blasphemy? The one who facilitated Stephen being stoned to death? The one who held the coats of the other people, not willing to bloody his own hands, but facilitating it so other people could kill Stephen, Philip's friend? It was Paul. Paul was the one behind the great persecution of Christians, which had driven Philip himself and many other Christians out of Jerusalem, fleeing for their lives. And now here we are 20 years later, and who comes knocking on Philip's door? It's Paul, the man who killed his friends, the man who who started a persecution against his friends that caused even Philip to not live in Jerusalem. This is the whole reason he's in Caesarea to begin with, is because he was running away from the persecution, which was started by this man, Paul. And here he is knocking at his door. I wonder what Philip and Paul said to each other as they met face to face for the first time. I wonder if they talked about Stephen. I imagine, though, that they embraced each other. It says that Philip invited Paul to stay in his home as his guest. You see, here's the thing. Philip realized that whatever had happened in the past, it was buried beneath the blood of Calvary. And because of that, Philip was able to forgive and even to embrace Paul and treat him as a brother. See, that's the power of the gospel. And I wonder if there's anybody like that in your life, somebody who you need to do this with. You need to say, you know, whatever was in the past, it's buried beneath the blood of Calvary. Whatever you did in the past that hurt me or offended me, God has forgiven me, and so therefore I'm going to forgive you. See, here's the thing about bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. If you hold on to these things, it's like a prison that you lock yourself in. But guess who's holding the key? You are, right? Holding on to resentment and unforgiveness, it's been said, is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. In the end, you're the one who suffers, not them. You see, I love that Philip welcomes Paul into his home as a brother. God forgave Paul and Philip did too. Let's continue from verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and we said, let the will of the Lord be done. Once again, this message comes to Paul. If you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. 
And these people who love Paul, they urge him not to go. And we see that Luke includes himself in this. He uses the word we because Luke was the writer of this book. He was part of that group. And he says, we saw this and we said, no, Paul, don't do it. Don't go. They don't want to see him suffer. They say, don't go. There must be some other way. You don't need to do this. Think of all the good you can do not being imprisoned. See, but Paul knows that even though difficulty awaits him on this path, God has called him to go to Jerusalem. So the question is, where does Paul get the courage to do this? And where can we get that kind of courage? For Paul and for us, it comes from the promise of the gospel, the message of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And here's the first thing we see. The reason the gospel gives us courage, the reason Paul had courage, the reason we can have courage is because the gospel gives us a unique form of humility. See, there are two things that Paul says here that show us that. The first is what we read from chapter 20 where he says this, I know that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I don't count my life as precious to myself if only I may finish the course that God laid before me in the ministry of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. And now the second one is here in chapter 21, verse 13, where he says, I am not only ready to be imprisoned, I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. See, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying there's something I care about more than my own comfort and safety. There's something else that I care about that's more important to me, that's more precious to me than my own comfort and safety. And and let me tell you, see, that is the basis of courage. This is the basis of courage, the beginning of courage, caring about something else more than you care about your own comfort and safety. See, true courage comes when there's something you care about more than yourself. And that's why in order to have incredible courage, you must have incredible humility. And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you a unique form of humility. I'll explain to you what I mean by a unique form of humility. The the message of the gospel, see the message of the entire Bible is this. It's that you and me, we are fundamentally flawed. Down to our very core, in our very nature. We're not only sinners because we commit sins. The reason we commit sins is because We are sinners by nature. You see, the Bible says that we're more sinful than we even realize. And what that means is that even when we do good things, sometimes the good things we do, we do them for wrong reasons. We do them from bad motives. You see, the the message of the gospel is that by nature, all human beings are broken. We're unclean. We're separated from God. And so, so much so that God himself had to intervene to save us. And it took the most drastic action imaginable that God had to become one of us and die in our place. But see, here's the thing. The fact that God was willing to do that, the fact that God would do that for us, it shows us just how much he loves us, how much he values us, that he would leave heaven, that he would suffer, that he would die on our behalf, not because he had to, but because he chose to, because it was the only way to save us and because he wanted to do that. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. See, on the one hand, the gospel humbles us to the dust that we're sinners. And on the other hand, the gospel affirms us to the heavens that we are loved by God at the same time. It does both at the same time. And that's why Christian humility is unique. 
Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, here's what it does. It gives you a healthy kind of humility, even a joyful kind of humility, a humility that is founded in love. You see, the reason I say that Christian humility is unique is because oftentimes when people think of the word humility, they think that to be humble means to think that you are worthless, that you have no value whatsoever. But see, that's not Christian humility. Because the gospel teaches that you have incredible value, incredible worth, so much so that God would leave everything to come for you. He calls you the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field for which he sold everything. You see, a person who's always down on themselves, right, if you're always consumed with thoughts of how bad you are, right, you're spending all your time hating yourself, you see, if you're doing that, don't you see that you're just as self-absorbed? Right? You're just as focused on yourself. All your thoughts are about yourself. Everything's still about you. See, but that's not humility. Christian humility frees you from having to think about yourself all the time. It frees you from having to think about yourself at all. It humbles you away from your grandiose thoughts about yourself, while at the same time it satisfies your legitimate needs for love and acceptance. You see, the gospel, on one hand, it doesn't allow you to be egotistical. But on the other hand, it doesn't allow you to be self-deprecating. And so it frees you up from thinking about yourself all the time. So what's that have to do with courage? Everything, of course. Because see, here's the thing. Real courage happens when you're not thinking about yourself. See, that's why Paul has the courage to face what's ahead. Because he's not thinking about himself. Because there's something he cares about more than his own safety and his own comfort. Now think about it like this. If your house is on fire, okay, and, and you run outside to get out of the flames, and then you, you, know, you do some assessment, you're standing outside, your house is burning down, you look around, you realize somebody's missing. One of the kids, well, maybe your spouse, somebody you love is missing. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you don't even think about it. You just run back in the house. But it's dangerous in there. Why would you do that? You could get hurt. You could die from smoke inhalation or from from the flames themselves. And of course you know that. But you go anyway. Why? Because in that moment, you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about your comfort and your safety. You're, You're thinking about that other person. And later on, people come up to you, you know, the news reporters come and they say, wow, you were so courageous. How did you have the courage to do that? And you'd say, in that moment, courage was the last thing on my mind. I wasn't thinking about how courageous I was being. It didn't even cross my mind. I wasn't thinking about myself at all. I was only thinking about that other person. See, that's courage. Courage begins with not thinking about yourself primarily. See, that's That requires humility, and the gospel gives us that kind of humility. You know what cowardice is? Cowardice comes from being self-absorbed, doesn't it? Cowardice comes from being self-preserving. When you shrink back from doing the right thing because you're thinking about yourself. But courage begins with humility, caring deeply about something else other than yourself. And that's important to understand because, see, our popular culture when it talks about courage, when you see movies about overcoming fear or being courageous, the, the message is usually the way to find courage is to look within yourself and eradicate fear. It's not even in my vocabulary anymore. Uh, I'm just not even going to think about it. I'm going to banish the idea of fear from my mind, and I'm going to look inside myself and summons up courage and tell myself, you're the big dog. You have what it takes. You can do it. But see, here's why that doesn't work. There's several reasons, but here's a few. First of all, 
it's categorically a mistake because if you don't have fear, you don't need courage. See, that's the whole point of courage. If you're not afraid of something, then you don't need to be courageous, right? Courage is the ability to do something even though you're afraid. Secondly, uh, not having fear is just a really bad idea. Like, it's really unwise. See, fear is a feeling, and fear helps us to be realistic. Fear helps us, uh, prevents us, it keeps us from overconfidence because overconfidence can always do us in. See, not having fear is very unwise. If you've ever had a toddler, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's like this period of their life where they have absolutely no fear at all. I remember one time, Nate, our son, he was he's like two and a half years old at the height of the I have no fear stage. And so we went to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. It's a really bad place to take a two-year-old, just uh, in case some of you are thinking of going there, right? Because there's these like thousand-foot drops. And the only thing that keeps you from the thousand-foot drops are these like uh, wooden railings, which are just the right height that a two-year-old just fits right underneath it without even ducking. We almost had a heart attack. Here's Nate. He's running around. He doesn't want us to pick him up. And uh, he's about to die. And he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't have a healthy fear of the danger of this place. And so we had to lock him in the car. And my, my daughter, when she, was, when she was two years old, we lived in Hungary, and we lived in this apartment that was on this top floor, and so all the rooms were upstairs, and then we had this long, steep staircase that led down to the kitchen. And so when uh, Felicia was two years old, she had this little airplane, and we would try to block off the stairs. They were weird height. You couldn't put a gate on them or anything, so we'd try to block it off with all kinds of stuff. Well, Felicia would always wait until we moved whatever was blocking the staircase, and she would get a running start down the hallway and try to fly her airplane off the stairs. She had no fear at all, and she almost killed herself. See, having no fear is really just a bad idea. Like, it's very unwise. The key to having courage is not not having fear. It's putting fear in its proper place, not letting fear paralyze you or consume you or control you or overwhelm you. And the key to that is this, having a unique form of humility that can only be found in the gospel. That healthy humility, that joyful humility, that loved humility that causes you not to be self-absorbed. The other reason why the gospel gave Paul such incredible courage and why you and I will have courage if we really understand the gospel is because the gospel also gives us a unique form of hope. See, Paul went from being a persecutor of Christians to being a Christian himself because, if you remember back to chapter 9, he came to a realization that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. You see, when Paul realized that what the Christians had been saying all along, that Jesus had risen risen from the dead, when he realized that was actually true, it, it changed everything for him. Because then Paul understood the death of Jesus in a completely different light. That that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins and he rose from the dead. And what that means for us is that when we believe in him, not only are our sins forgiven, but we have an incredible hope for the future. You see, what that means for us is that we're going to be raised. Though we die, we will rise again. And everything that's wrong in this world is going to be made right and there won't be any more suffering or death. That's an incredible hope. That's a unique form of hope which only the Christian can have because of Jesus, because of his death, because of his resurrection. See, here's the thing about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of joy, a joy so strong that it overshadows your fears. And that's what the gospel gives us. It gives us an eternal hope, a unique hope, which fills us with joy because of the promise of what is to come. Stephen King 
famous horror writer, obviously a person who knows a thing or two about fear. He himself affirms this exact thing that we're talking about here. He says, fear can hold you captive, but hope can set you free. Do you want to have courage? Look to the incredible hope that you have in the gospel. See, that's what Paul the Apostle was able to do. That was a source of his courage. In his letter to the Philippians, he writes, I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I literally have nothing to lose. George Herbert is a famous Christian poet from the 1600s from England, and he writes this great line. He says this, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made it just a gardener. See, all that death can do is just plant you. You're like a seed. The death plants you until one day you will rise from the dirt, a beautiful flower, and finally you'll be all that God always intended you to be. See, that's the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, how can you have that hope that gives you courage to face the unknown like Paul had? One way here is by looking to the one who had courage enough to face the danger in order to save you. I'll say that again. You have courage if you look to the one who had enough courage to face the danger facing him in order to save you. Go with me in your mind, if you will, to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is really kind of like a small public park at at that time. It's a place where Jesus, after he had his last meal with his disciples, Jesus went there with some of his disciples and they prayed. This was the night before Jesus was crucified. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. And so when everyone else went to bed, Jesus went out to this park, the Garden of Gethsemane, with a few of his disciples because he wanted to stay awake that night. He didn't want to fall asleep. He wanted to stay awake and pray. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane was the greatest act of courage in the history of the world. You see, because by the time Jesus was arrested, by the time he was later nailed to the cross, by that time it's kind of out of his hands, right? It's already too late. But that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, He could have left. He could have walked away easily. In fact, he even thought about it. He was nervous. He was afraid. He said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He sweat blood. This is a a medical condition that happens when your face is contorted so strongly and for so long that your capillaries burst and blood comes out of your forehead. You don't see Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you don't see him saying, no problem, I got this. No worries, I got this covered. Bring it on. No, not at all. You see him sweating blood. You see him praying and asking God, is there any other way? So how did Jesus have the courage to face that which lay before him? Right, we're talking about courage to face the unknown. Do you realize that for Jesus, this was the one and only thing that was completely unknown to him? being separated from the Father. You see, for eternity past, the Son had never been separated from the Father. But he knew that as the sin of the world was going to be placed upon him, he would be cut off from the Father. It was a terrifying prospect. It was completely unfamiliar, completely unknown to him. He would be forsaken by God, and he would be judged for the sin of the world. So where did Jesus get the courage to face that which lay before him? Well, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 what was going through Jesus' mind there in the Garden of Gethsemane. The reason he didn't walk away, the reason he didn't leave, the reason that he was able to act so courageously. And here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's the key. Who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Do you see? Jesus cared about something more than he cared about himself. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking of you. You see, he was thinking of the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was the joy of pleasing his father and redeeming his friends. The hope of that joy is what enabled Jesus to have courage. And you can look to Jesus courageously dying for you. And you can have courage to face whatever lies before you because of the hope that you have in him. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes it just a gardener. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this incredible hope that we have in the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that this is a hope that is founded on the one true and everlasting love. We thank you, Lord, that we can know this love through you. So, Lord, this morning we, uh, we thank you for this love, and we declare in our hearts, Lord, that as you have loved us, Lord, we, we want to reciprocate that. We want to love you back. We want to love you with our actions. We want to love you with our words, Lord. So as we sing these songs, we sing them as a prayer from our heart to you. And, Lord, we ask that you would... Uh, do your work in our lives. Whatever the cost might be, Lord, may we have the courage to face it and may we look to you to draw that courage. We pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.